Welcome to ILTV's Israel Daily. I'm Aaron Porras. And before we begin, I want to introduce you all to our all-new streaming platform, ILTV+. On ILTV+, you'll not only find all of the classic and original ILTV content that you know and love, but we'll also be offering daily morning news briefs, direct engagement with me and the ILTV team, live streams from holy sites, exclusive lectures and interviews, virtual tours through practically every major Israeli city, and much, much more. What you won't find are ads, sponsored content, and special interests. It's just Israel 24-7 in the palm of your hand. So sign up today at ILTV.tv or through the Apple and Android app stores, because we won't have full content on social media forever. Now coming up in today's newscast, as Hamas talks of overthrowing Israel, Gazans desperately clamoring to enter Israel for work. Meantime, Israel, the United States, and the United Arab Emirates discussing alternatives to the JCPOA nuclear deal in Washington. And finally, a new medical cannabis bill finally passes through its first reading in Knesset. But will it be enough to address the myriad of issues on the ground? Now we begin today with a tragic assault. An Israeli border police officer seriously wounded early Thursday morning in an apparent car ramming attack. The attack just outside of the Kalandia checkpoint in Judea and Samaria, or the West Bank, just north of Jerusalem. Meantime, the 20-year-old officer rushed to hospital in Jerusalem, presenting initially with moderate injuries to his head and abdomen. Though while stable now, his injuries worsening overnight to a more serious condition. Now, as for the suspected terrorist, the 22-year-old resident of Kalkilia attempted to ram the troops as they were working to move illegal structures, illegally built structures built in the area. And after being spotted on his way towards them, the officers firing upon his vehicle, causing him to crash into a wall. He sustained moderate head wounds and was also taken to hospital for treatment, after which he was transferred to the Sheenbeit for questioning. Jerusalem District Commander Doron Turgeman saying that while the suspected attack reminds us of the dangers posed by terrorists against the IDF and civilians alike, the troops' vigilance and quick and determined response was the key to saving lives. Now, speaking of terror, the terrorist who fatally shot 21-year-old Border Police Staff Sergeant Barel Hadaria Shmueli officially identified as a member of the Palestinian Islamic Jihad terror group. But more surprising, Israeli Ynet News discovering through Palestinian sources that the Hamas terror group in Gaza had been keeping the suspect in protective custody for weeks. Further, Hamas had imposed a gag order on the suspect's identity for fear of Israeli reprisal. Hamas is assuming, at least for now, that Israel will not attempt to assassinate him and risk an escalation of violence amidst ongoing ceasefire negotiations. At the same time, however, Hamas is believing that the suspect has been added to Israel's blacklist, and the suspect will likely go back into hiding should tensions begin to rise. The Islamic Jihad suspect is wanted in connection to the August 21 shooting of Shmueli along the border with Gaza. Originally believed to be a Hamas operative, the shooter approached the border in plain clothes, pulled a pistol from his underwear, and fired at Staff Sergeant Shmueli through a gap in the wall from point-blank range. Shmueli had been stationed on the border as a sniper, and he was laid to rest at the Kiryat Shaul Military Cemetery in Tel Aviv. Moving on, over the last week, a shocking display in Gaza as Hamas holds its end-of-days promise conference on how to run Palestine once they liberate it from Israel, Hundreds of thousands of Gaza residents working up a frenzy outside their Chamber of Commerce building in desperate hopes of getting a permit to work in Israel. 
The unemployment rate in the Strip is now reaching upwards of 65%, with the average daily wages in Gaza sitting at just $13 a day, as opposed to a minimum daily wage of $155 in Israel for unskilled laborers. Or to put it simply, a permit to work in Israel is akin to winning the lottery for the average Gazan. So, what does this mean for the true state of affairs between Israel and Gaza? Joining me to discuss, Head of Legal Strategies with Palestinian Media Watch, Lieutenant Colonel in the IDF Reserves, Maurice Hirsch. Thank you so much for being with us, Lieutenant Colonel. Hi, good afternoon. So what, what does this mean uh, with respect to Gazan-Palestinian outlook towards living with Israel and Israelis? So I think the permits and, and really the rush to receive the permits exposes a few different subjects uh, which need to be discussed. Some of them simply strategic and some of them really at the level of national policy of where are we going forward. So let's stay at the, uh, really the, at the basic tactical level. The Palestinians obviously want to live in, want to work in Israel. It doesn't matter how much they demonize Israel. It doesn't matter how much they say they hate Israel. The truth of the matter is every one of the Palestinians uh, in, in Gaza would prefer to work in Israel where they get paid social security, they get insurance coverage, they get a decent wage at the end of the day, they get holiday payment. Um, really, in general, the, the, the conditions of Palestinian workers in Israel are far, far superior in their entirety, not only the actual wages, um, to those of the conditions of the workers in the Palestinian Authority um, in general and in Gaza, probably specifically. As regards, really, the next tactical step is, well, who are the people who are going to receive these work right. permits? Um, what we've seen in, in, in the past is that the people who receive the work permits are those who are closely connected to Hamas. Um, in many instances where the number of permits are limited, those who receive the permits are people who are specifically chosen and authorized by Hamas. It's not coincidental that some of those people are then involved in terrorist activity, um, whether it be funding Hamas via ostensibly legitimate commerce, um, that's how Hamas brings its money in. Hamas in Turkey, uh, Salah Haruri, buys a container, sends it to a legitimate uh, um, businessman um, via Israel. The businessman comes into Israel, does his business. Hamas takes the, the, the merchandise at the end, and there you have terror funding for Hamas. So, so, really so secu well, security issues, of course, are a serious concern that needs to be discussed. But many analysts are saying that this situation could be leveraged by Israel to undermine Hamas uh, and, more importantly, Hamas terrorists. Can you speak to that strategy? Well, I don't think there's really much chance of, of, of undermining the Hamas terrorists uh, in this idea. Hamas holds the Gaza Strip with a stranglehold. It has done since 2006 when they were legitimately elected, and then since 2007, when they threw out the, the, the Fatah uh, um, leaders who had really usurped their authority. Um, I don't think there is anything that Israel could do in order to change that, 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 that course of history as you started and you opened. They're holding conferences on the end of days when Hamas wipes out Israel and, and, and kills the, 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 the people that they want to kill and, and, and imprisons the Jews, the intellectuals who they think will still help them. That's their mindset. They're not in the mindset of, let's make peace. They're not in the mindset of, well, let's feed the starving Gazans. Let's give them employment. And, th and those that, 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 that leave aren't the Gazans that object to and would fight against the, the, the Hamas leadership. It's those that are chosen and specifically um, given the opportunity by the Hamas leadership. Really, what this does is give the Hamas leadership the chance to 
instead of Israel promoting some type of peace initiative, it gives the Gazans and, and the Hamas leadership there um, all control over the people who are getting out. We're the ones who hand out these uh, um, incredible sweets, and therefore we are the ones who are responsible and should t- uh, take credit for it. That's I a whole different story. So how, how far is Gaza, I should ask, from a complete economic collapse? Because as I mentioned before, the unemployment rate is upwards of 65% among Gazans with, with education, with degrees, that unemployment rate is actually much higher. And what would happen along the Israeli border should a, an economic collapse in Gaza occur? Well, I think people have been talking about an economic collapse in Gaza for, 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 for many years. Probably, I don't know if you remember, in, in 2000, I, I think in 12, 2000, the UN published a, a report saying that by 2020, Gaza will be unlivable. Well, that, uh, and that's just not true. Um, there is a reality of very high unemployment. There is a reality of uh, uh, um, poverty there, which is partly being supported and uh, uh, alleviated by the, the money that's been flowing in from, from, from Qatar and the money that's been flowing in from the Palestinian Authority. Mm. But really, when you ask who's responsible for the situation... It, it, it's really Hamas, and, and it isn't something which Israel should really take responsibility for. This is part of the, the larger strategic problem. In 2005, Israel pulled every single Jewish resident out of the Gaza Strip, removed every last one of the soldiers. For 15 years, 16 years, the Gaza Strip has been independent and could have developed itself in size and capacity and desire into the Singapore of the Middle East. But Gaza has chosen the path of Hamas. Gazans have chosen the path of, of terrorism. And therefore, whilst that economic failure is, is possibly very imminent, it's not something that Israel can, can really afford, either strategically or tactically, to really get involved with. Lieutenant Colonel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Israeli Foreign Minister Yair Lapid, UAE Foreign Minister Abdullah bin Zayed, and U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken now publicly discussing the need for alternatives to the JCPOA nuclear deal. This has Iran drifting further and further from the negotiating table in Vienna. In a trilateral meeting in Washington Wednesday, the United States, Israel, and the United Arab Emirates issuing more forceful warnings against the hostile Ayatollah regime in Tehran. Uh, We are getting closer to a point at which Returning to compliance with the JCPOA uh, will not, uh, in and of itself, recapture the benefits of the JCPOA. And that's because Iran has been using this time to advance its nuclear program in a variety of ways, including enriching uh, uranium to 20 percent and even 60 percent, using more advanced centrifuges, uh, acquiring uh, more more knowledge. It takes two to engage in diplomacy, and we have not not seen uh, from Iran a, a willingness to do that at this point. With this in mind, the diplomats confirming discussions regarding alternative means of addressing the challenges posed by Iran. Rhetoric borrowed from Israeli Foreign Minister Yair Lapid from moments before. And Lapid adding that, quote, by saying other options, I think everyone understands what it is we mean. Further, Lapid making clear that with or without a nuclear deal and with or without United States support, Israel will act to defend itself as necessary. There are moments when nations must use force to protect the world from evil. If a terror regime is going to acquire a nuclear weapon, we must act, we must make clear that the civilized world won't allow it. Israel reserves the right to act at any given moment in any way that is not only our right, 
it is also our responsibility. Iran has publicly stated it wants to wipe us out. We have no intention of letting this happen. Meantime, Israel already acting on these words. Israeli Air Force fighters reportedly carrying out a strike against Iranian and pro-Iran targets in Homs, Syria, overnight. The targets including militia centers, training bases, and a communications tower, and one Syrian soldier was killed with three more wounded. Iran's military entrenchment in Syria constituting a red line for Israel, with the IDF having carried out thousands of such attacks in recent years. Iran's military entrenchment in Syria constituting a red line for Israel, with the IDF having reportedly carried out thousands of such attacks in recent years to push Iran back, including a similar strike just last week. As per policy, though, the IDF neither confirming nor denying taking any action. In other news, after initially failing to pass, the Israeli coalition has just approved of a new medical cannabis bill. And while it's nowhere near as far-reaching as the framers of the bill originally intended, it is still set to greatly improve the lives of cannabis patients across the country, assuming it passes its second and third readings to become law. But here with more, cultural and medical cannabis expert with Legalize, Ben Benchirut. Ben, it's great to have you with us. Thank you so much. Now, the original bill intended to pave the way towards recreational use in Israel. This bill was watered down at the behest of Islamist Ram Party to only address medical users. How do you feel about this, this wording of this new legislation? Well, you know, any kind of uh, advancement in state law uh, towards legalizing and regulating the cannabis plant is very, very important. And we, uh, you know, uh, we congratulate this step, which makes it very evident um, that regulation and legislation is very needed in this um, field. Basically, uh, this, uh, you know, addresses not the plant itself, but human use in it. The medical use is uh, very, very important for the sick and uh, needed a lot of regulation. Uh, back in 2013, the government decided that the field need to be regulated and the Department of uh, the Ministry of Health tried its best um, to uh, regulate everything, but uh, now it's time to, uh, you know, make all the lines very clear about the medical use, which is uh, very, very important. Well, so Ben do, you, ben, do you believe that this new law will do enough to address the shortages of medical cannabis that, and as well as access to medical cannabis in Israel? Because those are really some of the bigger issues. Well, the law addresses some very important issues regarding um, the um, doctor, which makes the decision, which is not the Ministry of Health, uh, which is very, very important. Uh, the, the doctor gets to decide itself with the patient what is the best treatment for the patient. Plus that there's the issue of uh, hands which the cannabis go through, you know, all the regulation. Uh, narrowing it down might really help us bring down the prices, which is the main issue with uh, um, acquiring cannabis here for the people that most need it, they need the most uh, big amounts. So, so medicinally speaking, because again, this bill really only speaks to the medical uh, portions of cannabis, what else would you have liked to see in this bill? 
Well, I would like to see um, um, more addressing towards um, strain-related um, characteristics, mm. saying like uh, terping content and more like personal guidance. There's nothing, there's no one during the process which guides the medical patient in cannabis consumption. Um, not the nurse, not the doctor, not um, the pharmacist. Nobody really explained to the patient what they're supposed to do with the cannabis to uh, most uh, benefit themselves in their specific condition. Learning how to use the cannabis specifically for a medical condition is the key for uh, success in research and investments in this field. Ben Ben Harut from Legalize, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Now, before we continue, I want to turn to ILTV's Hannah Rifkin for an amazing announcement. Hannah? Thanks, Aaron. And yes, as you said, I'm here to talk about something really exciting. ILTV is now expanding onto its very own platform, ILTV+. And this means a couple of changes to how we deliver ILTV's content, but more importantly, it means real benefits for our viewers. For one, my new show, Good Morning Israel. It's basically a morning bite of the latest news in Israel, and you'll get a snippet of all the top headlines overnight, giving you everything you need to know that day. It will be available exclusively on ILTV Plus Sunday through Thursday at 2 p.m. Israel time and 7 a.m. Eastern time. All right, now, ever since Isaac Herzog left the Jewish agency to take up his post as Israel's president, the vacancy he left at the Jewish agency as head of the group has yet to be filled. And then just this week, the frontrunner for the position withdrew his candidacy under accusations of misconduct while working as head of the IDF's Manpower Directorate. So who will be the new head of this nearly 100-year-old organization? Former Israeli ambassador to the United States, Ambassador Dani Ayalon, joins us with more. Dani, it's great to have you back with us. Now, first off, let's start with what the agency does today and, and how important is this organization? Okay, well, first of all, what the agency does today is helping Aliyah for Israel from all over the world, uh, supporting uh, Jewish identity and uh, Jewish uh, studies and Jewish education abroad in the different uh, uh, Jewish communities around uh, the world. And Sunrise, this is pretty much uh, what uh, they do today. Now, are they really, or is it really necessary to continue? Well, first of all, we have to remember the Jewish agency is, has been the most important uh, Jewish organization until uh, 1948, until Israel uh, was established. And actually, this was uh, the uh, national uh, institution uh, headed by uh, the famous uh, and great uh, first um, um, Prime Minister of Israel, David Ben-Gurion, they very much were the uh, silver platter, if I may say so, that upon which the state was, uh, was, was reestablished. But the question is whether we need it today. Well, when the state was still young, uh, the claim was that we do need the Jewish agency to operate in countries where Israel cannot due to lack of diplomatic um, relations. And uh, as you know, there has been this Arab boycott and uh, Israel has, well, has always been under uh, onslaught of uh, 
um, I would say, political attacks by the Palestinians, the Iranians, radical Islam, and all their collaborators. So when Israel was not able to uh, operate, this was the uh, Jewish agency. Um, but the question today, where Israel it has matured enough to have um, great uh, relations with most countries in the world. Today, Israel is uh, spread out. Our embassies are over 105 different countries. And uh, Israel today is much stronger than it was uh, 70, 73 years ago. The question is whether this organization is still necessary or maybe it's redundant to what the government of Israel should do or federations. For instance, Aliyah, government of Israel can do the Aliyah. Uh, by the way, um, and uh, also for full disclosure, I was uh, uh, chairman of uh, Nefesh Benefesh, which is doing Aliyah from North America. And I can tell you that Nefesh Benefesh um, is much more organized and more effective than, um, than the Jewish agency when it term comes to uh, Aliyah from uh, uh, North America. So the question is, do we still need this very, very um, encumbered uh, organization, bureaucratic, huge one with thousands of uh, employees, hundreds uh, of uh, millions of dollars uh, budget. Do we really need that? Or this money can be better served if it was given to the Israeli people through the Israeli uh, government? How would you answer that question? Yeah. Yeah. How would so, you answer And again, it's a very, very, um, I think, um, appropriate and timely question because the other thing, you know, Jewish education, I think, this Jewish education should be vested, and that should be the uh, uh, total responsibility of the Jewish communities, whether it's the federations in North America or anywhere else. And wherever they need support, the state of Israel is strong enough to support it. So, um, and of course, without this great Jewish uh, people's support throughout the years of uh, uh, the state of Israel, we would not have been here today had it not been for the support of the Jewish communities all over the world, first and foremost, of course, uh, North America and the United States. But today, the balance, luckily for all of us, also for the Jewish communities abroad, has changed. Israel is strong enough, so today we should give back and we should be the ones supporting uh, the, the Jewish communities abroad and, uh, and, again, give the responsibility for Jewish education and identity to the Jewish um, uh, different communities abroad. So, again, the, 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 in my mind, this organization probably has outlived its usefulness, um, and I would say in the least, it should be trimmed down, should be scaled down, become a skeleton organization, and operate through NGOs, uh, which are much more effective in terms of uh, capacity to bring results, and of course, much less costly. All right, well, you've certainly give us an, give us, given us a lot to consider here, uh, and whether or not this agency will actually be stripped down remains to be seen, but uh, when we have some more, we'd love to have you back to discuss that. Ambassador, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. Now let's take a look at the weather forecast with Hannah Rifkin. Skies clearing up a bit for the weekend, though expect some clouds here and there. Lows ranging in the upper teens and lower 20s in Celsius, while highs expecting to stay between the upper 20s and mid 30s. Have a splendid, lovely weekend, and now back to the studio with Aaron. And now before we go, let's take a look at what's going viral here in Israel.
Now what you're seeing here with this cacophony of sound is one of the first migrations this season of 11,000 cranes flying this morning from Agmon Hahula in northern Israel. That's around Hula Lake uh, in the northern uh, Golan Heights area. All right, that is it for today's news. Today's exchange rate is 3.22 shekels to the American dollar and 2.6 shekels to the Canadian dollar. And finally, for the latest updates and news from ILTV, please make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at ILTV.tv and sign up for our brand new streaming platform, ILTV Plus, while you're there. We're still, we're still hosting clips and limited content on our various social media channels, but on ILTV Plus, available online and through the Android and Apple app stores, you'll find full episodes of all of your favorite ILTV programming, exclusive content, and much, much more. I'm Aaron Porras. Be well, and thank you so much for watching.